and welcome back to Cozy Jabber with your host Kaylee J. I'm your host Kaylee J, and I need to apologize um, for the long hiatus. It was unintentional. I meant to do this podcast almost exactly a month ago, and life got real. <laughs> so again, apologies, but I am back and working on the better than ever part. Uh, originally, my podcast was going to be about New Year's. Um, the idea of goals, setting yourself up for what a lot of people see as failure, and just kind of how to get through the seasonal depression and funk that sometimes comes with that. Um, today's podcast, um, however, is going to be a little bit more about marketing. And if you're very confused because you're new to, not new to my podcast and you that I'm an education major <laughs> with an education background, I don't mean marketing as in buying and selling. I mean marketing as in marketing yourself. And no, I'm not talking about that kind of marketing either. Um, but one thing that is starting to become more prevalent on applications and through the application process for jobs is a question about mental health. And it appears after the gender question, the race question, and sometimes even the veteran question. And talking to people about this, I've noticed there is a severe pause in the conversation. And this pause is not new. It's come, you know, with the why does my gender matter? Why does my race matter? Because once you hire me, you'll know those things. And that's really where your portfolio should, you know, where it should matter. It shouldn't matter when I'm applying for my job. And according to the fine print on your application, it doesn't. So why do I have to put it? This gets echoed for me anyways and for many others in the world of sports. So for those of you who do not watch sports, don't listen to sports, or maybe just don't, you know, you're like, hey, sports are something I watch once or twice a week or it's on, you know, the local place that I go to. Um, there's been a lot of talk throughout the years, and right now the NFL is the one in the hot seat about it, about interviewing candidates solely to fill a quota. Um, this has been going on in all sports, and I know this is not just a sports thing, but I'm going to use the sports section of it as its discussion piece. So, the issue on the table, and I'm going to keep this as vague as possible because this is not my ballpark and <laughs> no pun intended, um, but again, I'm using it as the platform to create my arena on, again, <laughs> no pun intended, um, but one former coach is suing a program that he was a part of because of feeling like, you know, either A, he was getting interviewed to fill a quota because the position he was interviewing for was already taken. Um, or, you know, yeah, they were just doing it to be nice. Um, and this is, again, this comes back to that application for me. This comes back to a resume or resume applications for me. So you fill out your resume, you upload it. And I remember going through like high school and college and talking about resumes. And I remember doing a lot of diversity training where teachers would talk about, you know, having a certain name can be, you know, can give you a disadvantage. And there's thousands beyond thousands of statistics for that to be true. So 
on top of that, we now have these questions, and these aren't new. Some of them are like the mental health one, where it's asking, you know, are you Hispanic? Yes or no. Or just ask you, what is your ethnicity? And check all that apply. And, you know, it creates a very awkward pause for a lot of people because it's, you know, if I click this box, do I not get the job? Or do I click this box? Do I at least get the interview and my foot in the door? Um, And so on and so forth. And I understand certain questions. Like I understand the veteran one um, to a degree and depending on what field you're trying to enter. But the newest one has created a lot of controversy. Um, And it's the mental health question. Because when you read the types of mental health that the question is asking about, it is a very large spectrum that it is addressing. And ignoring the fact that the spectrums within each disability, mental health issue is already very large, they're not addressing that. They're only addressing the term. So then you have to kind of have a conversation with yourself because, and this again is backed up by statistics, over the last three years, due to things like the pandemic, depression and anxiety have been on the rise. So if you've just recently been diagnosed and it's really, you know, just because you've been inside all day, forgot how to be social or whatever, do you still check the box? Yes. Or do you say no, because in your mind, you don't have severe enough anxiety. I mean, that's the thing. It's just the term. It's not the condition. I mean, they address every single type of learning disability and mental health disorder across pretty much the board. It's like if you learned about it in Psychology 101, it's most likely on that document. But, you know, what does that do for them and what does that do for you? And when you get to this question, if you've not seen an application in a while or if you just haven't applied for a job, it gives you three options. It says, yes, I have or have had one of these. No, I do not. Or I don't wish to answer. And I always get pause on any application when I get to those kind of things where it's like, I don't wish to answer. And to me, I don't wish to answer tells me that they don't care about the answer because if I can have ADHD and anxiety but not answer then why does it matter that I do have it or not um I understand that it's an option to report but I then have to sign my name stating that I filled out the document accordingly and as anybody with a mental health diagnosis will tell you your mental health is not who you are it's just a part of who you are um and again i think one of the things that could easily address this is you know in this section in this quick like literally one question section saying you know is it do we have it is it severe is it being treated like what exactly is this question looking for and what is its purpose Because in my mind, the military question has a purpose. The gender question has a purpose. I mean, based off of, you know, the equal employment and all of those things. But what is the question about mental health? Is it 
the fact that mental health has become a topic of conversation. It's no longer the same deep stigma that it was 10 years ago. Because there is still a stigma attached to it. That is why people can feel free not to answer because they might not feel comfortable answering and checking a box. Or, you know, is it just some document, you know, some yes button that goes into oblivion never to be seen again? It's very hard to answer that question as both an applicant and as a mental health advocate when it seems like as mental health conversations are finally happening and people are finally getting to be open and honest about it, it is now an option to discuss it on an application where nobody knows you, you know? And, like, I remember, and this also goes back to my te- beginning of my teaching career, um, I've had students who, you know, born and raised the United States of America, but one of their parents is from another country and they ha- struggle with, you know, what do I put down as my ethnicity? Because sometimes you can only pick one. And it is that part of them that goes back to resumes and learning about their name, defining them before you even get to hear their story. And so now with these extra pieces added, it's giving an identity to somebody you don't know. It's creating a profile of a human without having the human to speak to their profile. So what is the purpose? The second thing that I want to talk about is back to the marketing thing. So you've gotten through that question. You feel like you can answer it. Or maybe you just listen to my podcast because it's Leslie Jabber and you never know what I'm going to talk about. Um, And now you have to do the resume and the documents and possibly a cover letter. And you don't know how to talk about yourself. Hi, my name is Kaylee J. I'm the host of Glitzy Jabber. And I teach for a living. But how am I different than every other teacher? That is one of the most difficult questions that I've had to answer this year. Because teachers and nurses are leaving their professions at an alarming rate this past year due to the hostility of the classroom, the issues of the classroom the lack of support within their classroom and their communities. And the biggest thing that I keep hearing echoed when I talk to teachers who are leaving is how am I different? And this is even more difficult for the teachers that have truly been teaching for years. They went to college for it. They're on year like 15, 16. And they don't have an answer. And to make matters worse, they make a resume that does highlight the amazing things that they've been able to do. The, you know, courses they've taken outside of their own degree, the certificates, awards, you know, data analysis, all the things that teachers do on a daily basis. And then they submit their resume to a company 
only to be read by a bot and never to actually get to a human. So what exactly is the answer? Here's my philosophy. I understand that any given company can have minimum of 10 people, maximum of like hundreds apply for one job. I understand that the process can get redundant as you look through resumes and look for differences. And I understand that those things that are similar is most likely what the bot is catching. But here's my idea. In the state of Virginia, we have the EOC and of course, English 11 SOL. When our students take this from the educator understanding, it is read by a computer and by a living, breathing human being. Why both? Because computers can't read and understand everything that the essay is being is asking the student to write about. Just like a bot doesn't understand a human story. So why not hire someone to work from home part-time, full-time, whatever, and just have them look through resumes and make, let's call it a document cheat sheet. What things, you know, to pass along the name to the next person, to get through that course, through that hurdle, whatever you want to call it, what things stick out? Add their background, add their education, their teaching, or their jobs, whatever it is, and then make sure you emphasize the things they highlight. Think of it as like a Reader's Digest version of interviews. Before they get to the interview process, before they, instead of getting stopped by the bot, how can we, as humans, make the job force more welcoming? That is my idea. Is it perfect? Probably not. But it is one person's idea in perfection is not something you can achieve alone. The other thing that happens when people apply to new jobs outside of their comfort zone is they oftentimes sell themselves short. Because if you're switching jobs, if you're going from communications, or if you're going from, let's get more specific than that, um, real estate, to a job working at an online company, you might feel like, well, this only applies to real estate. This thing that I did that was amazing, how I helped my company do this, only applies to real estate, so I'm not going to put it. Well, the next person who did something not even half as cool is going to put the less cool thing, and that might be the difference. And it might be the only way for now to get through those bots. So, put it in. One of the things that I hear a lot when I'm talking to people writing resumes, both students that I help write resumes and grown adults, is it has to be a page. It has to be a page. And this was very true when things were printed and handed over. But through my conversations with recruiters and with 
other companies, I've learned that if it goes a little bit over a page, they're reading it on a computer screen. Nine times out of ten, unless the document is in the same PDF Adobe file that you created it in, it might not even show them how many pages it is. I'm not saying go buku crazy, but if it goes a little bit over a page and you get to talk yourself up in the process, don't sell yourself short. Other thing, and this is a part of me saying practice what I preach, is the cover letter. What in the world is the purpose of a cover letter? Because I feel like the cover letter is like those voluntary questions at the end of an application process. How I really need to know how many people read them. Because most of the time I've talked to recruiters, I've talked to companies, I hear the words, we skim. And I understand that. Skimming is, you know, you're reading so many cover letters a day, skimming, whatever, works. But how much information is necessary and what is skimmable? I think instead of creating cover letters that we can change and doctor and fix and whatever, companies should specifically ask questions, and some companies do this, about what they want answered. What would you rather me have addressed than writing you a cover letter that talks up my skills that are listed in your job form? Instead of me creating a cover letter, talking myself up, talking up my accomplishments, talking up how good I am with technology or whatever, give me three questions. Tell me the three things that you want to know about me that relate to your job. Because I know for a fact that the typical job posting has roughly somewhere in the ballpark of like 10 to 15 bullets. So out of those 10 to 15 bullets, what three or four, or you can even just like, you know, combine and conquer, do you want your applicant to be able to prove in a cover letter and make those individual paragraph questions? And that way, person who's now reading the cover letters doesn't have to do as much work and the person submitting an application to be reviewed knows specifically what you're looking for and I think that might help some of this gap of needing a computer to process through documentation um, and process through the application if we clean up the cover letter process and make it beneficial for both applicant and company, I think we can also clean up the resume process to make it beneficial to all. For my last note of today, and I'm sorry this podcast is probably going to be close to 30 minutes in length, I want to talk about the downside of of applicating, oh goodness, of applying, I'm sorry. Um, And that is rejection. You know, you put in work, sometimes you get interviews, sometimes you don't. And then you get a letter. We had a lot of, um, or email, we got a lot of, you know, applications, your application didn't cut it. You just put in all this time to make your resume fit you know, make your resume match, make your cover letter, fill out their application. And in response, maybe weeks or months later, you've gotten a form letter. 
And I understand the purpose of form letters because they probably, like the form letter says, have hundreds of applicants that they have to send that to. But if we truly care about mental health, like we seemingly do, knowing it's now a question in the application process, rejection is something that can deeply impact mental health and emotional health. So maybe, you know, allowing candidates to have conversations or just saying, you know, making a document, you know, as you cycle through all of these applications and just putting something in and making a, you know, I understand how form letters work. So, you know, if you put, you know, open parenthesis or bracket, first name, close parenthesis, my name appears. So create some kind of coding system that puts that comment in for that person. Use a Google spreadsheet or Microsoft Excel and create that system because I know it can exist. And that way, A, the person doesn't feel like they just waited, you know, spent all of this time and got nowhere because you're not only contacting them to let them know, hey, this isn't going to work out, but you're giving them something to build off of. You're giving them a place to go. In addition to that, it would also be helpful if this is a company that the person you're interacting with, like, you know, the person you're rejecting, really wants to work at. It might be a good idea to be like, if you have questions or if you, you know, and have them in contact with somebody in your office, somebody in that, you know, talent management area of expertise to talk to them and see, you know, what things can they do? Is there a way for them to improve? Or is it, you know, one and done ripping off a Band-Aid? Again, I'm not positive I know all of the answers. I'm more than positive that I don't. But if we are going to care about mental health, we need to care about the whole picture when it comes to the application process and not just one question with one answer. I also need to apologize before I sign off today for, again being so bad about posting yet another podcast. Um, I now have it on my to-do list to do it at least once a month and work from there. Small goals, big dreams. Until next time, this has been Klutzy Jabber with your host, Kaylee J. I'm Kaylee J. Goodbye.